to Bickering Peaks with your hosts, Aiden and Lindsay. Thanks for tuning in. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, we're here today to talk about the pilot episode of Twin Peaks. Yes. uh, Which, uh, Lindsay has some background information, some... uh, about the production and everything. So I'll let her give kind of an overview of uh, how it was came about, how it aired, all that stuff, and then we can jump into the first discussion of the pilot. Yeah. So, yeah. So this this was um, written by David Lynch Mark Frost. It was directed by David Lynch. Um, which I'm going to talk a lot about. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, aired on April 8th, 1990, which I want to say it was a Sunday, but it might have been... I don't think they'd moved it to the Thursday yet. I think it was still a Sunday. And they did it as like a movie... Uh, movie of the week movie of the week type of thing it was as far as i can tell the highest rated uh film the highest rated movie for the 1989-1990 season um and people kind of went nuts for it which is pretty obvious once you've watched the episode yeah it's kind of obvious to see why yeah it was filmed entirely on location in Washington State. I guess there were a few episodes or a few things in the episode that were filmed in California, but for the most part, it it really does. It's filmed entirely. Yeah, all the it has a shots. very yeah, yeah it has a tell. very Pacific Northwest feel to yeah. it. It's kind of dark and cloudy and rainy and yeah. damp. Well, like the rain, yeah, when they're driving near the end, yeah, it's very yeah, you can tell. And um, so. David Lynch and Mark Frost had been working together on a, on a different project entirely. I think it was a film. They were trying to make a film about the life and death of Marilyn Monroe. And rather than getting that off the ground, for whatever reason, it didn't work. They decided to, uh, or they had this idea for, you know, some images in their minds about this show that would later become Twin Peaks. Originally, it was titled Northwest Passage. And I think it was supposed to be set somewhere else, not in the Pacific Northwest. But uh, it, but, it, which yeah, it yeah. is surprising to me. Yeah, because well, with the title like Northwest Passage, you would think it's set in the Northwest. Yeah. But yeah okay. But anyway, they they had uh, they changed the title at some point. But the 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 title of this episode is Northwest Passage. Although the titles of the episodes are kind yeah. of loosey goosey. Some people don't use them at all. Well, yeah. I guess they the DVDs were DVDs. Don't use them. No, right? it's just, just episode one, episode two, episode yeah, three. Yeah. And they uh, the. The episode titles came about because they were titled the German version of the show, or not the German version, German when it was dub, aired yeah. in Germany. They titled it in German, and then for whatever reason, English speaking audiences translated those titles into English, and they became the titles. The titles. That, so we'll refer to them throughout the podcast probably by their title names because well, people do refer to them yeah. as such. Plus it is a little confusing. Like the, the pilot is the pilot and it's basically like two mini episodes tied together. And then the first episode is episode two. Yeah. But it's called but it's episode the first one. Epi- no, it's called episode two. No, on the DVDs. On it's the called DVDs episode it's called episode one. one. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's pilot then episode one, but it's the third hour of the show. It's really kind yeah, of odd. So like, it's, it, it does make a little bit of sense just yeah. for continuity purposes that we'll, yeah. we'll probably use kind titles. of obliquely yeah. refer to the titles, but yeah. But just as background, I thought that was interesting that I just learned that the other day about the German thing. So thank you, Germany. Um, (laughs) So it uh, it did, obviously, if it was the highest rated television or highest rated movie for the for the eighty nine ninety season, season, it it must have done really well. It had a twenty one point seven rating and was viewed by thirty five million people. Thirty five million people. That's really that's kind of insane. So um, it's a bit of a craze. It was, uh, it, yeah, it, it did, and yeah. and it and it tipped off this whole, you know, 
people talk about Twin Peaks as being this water cooler show. Yeah. Right? So people would watch it when it, it eventually aired on Thursday night. So you'd, you'd go home, you'd watch Twin Peaks on Thursday night. You'd have, there were Twin Peaks viewing parties. People would have coffee and donuts and cherry pie and they'd sit around and they'd watch the show. They'd dissect it afterwards or they'd go to work the next day and dissect it with their friends and, and talk about it. it was the, It was the show for that that eight Period, weeks yeah, that, it that it was, was on. on yeah so which is yeah that's yeah, well it's significant yeah. you can see why like the like you were saying uh the first episode you it definitely grabs you like there's there's something there that i can't imagine like i, don't, I wasn't watching much tv but i'm thinking of what was on tv at that time and well, then yeah, comparing I mean, it to matt or to, to twin peaks there's nothing like it yeah there even it feels like you know and we're going to talk about the opening sequence here in a bit but the the idea that it's kind of like a soap opera it kind of reminds you of a show like dallas or dynasty but it it's not like that either it's something totally different it really is it's 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 completely new and it's completely fresh and it's it's david lynch who had never done a tv show before this but uh, so yeah. his cinematic his film cinematic yeah um, style and style everything comes across come onto yeah. the onto the the small screen i guess but and yeah, he doesn't really so... sacrifice much. I mean, like, I mean, I have, like, I took notes during this first episode and there are just a ton of shots where I'm like, this is so not a regular TV series show. It's not, you know, a regular one camera setup on a tight uh, soundstage. You know, everything kind of jumps out a little bit more. And, and I've, I've got, yeah, I've got but notes. It, yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's definitely, um, it makes good use of the setting yeah and you know right from the very very beginning well okay so the we were going to talk about the title sequence but we can mention the log lady intros, yeah yeah which, which is not it wasn't on the original airing obviously. no the log lady intros so. were introduced in i want to say 1992 or 1993 when it aired it was rerun on the bravo network and uh, they they wrote these these introductions for the log lady, uh, one of the characters, Margaret Lanterman, um, played by Catherine Coulson, the dearly departed. Yeah, she passed away not long ago. Not long ago. Um, so she she sits in front of the in front of a fireplace, fireplace and she and holds her log, log and she, she has chats. a little yeah it's like you know <laughs> a little thirty second or a one minute long yeah. intro, and the theme of this first intro that that we did watch it before the pilot, but it's. It's not necessary, but yeah. it does. Well, that's, it does that's open the up. thing. Like, are they necessary? Not really, because I mean, they weren't there for the original audience. They're they're, they're kind of an add-on. And you said David Lynch wrote them, though. I think so. Maybe Mark Frost. Maybe. Hold but on. But anyways, yeah, I'm just gonna look it up. But uh, you know, are they? Are, do they add much? Not necessarily. I I don't find. I think they uh, they definitely build a, a bit of a theme for the episode. Um, but I mean, they're very cryptic at the same time because uh, you know the log lady doesn't exactly. Uh, to talk plainly or simply or anything like that. So uh, it, it's it's interesting. I mean, there there's some uh, value to it. I find it does a lot of uh, kind of myth building and world building. It adds, you know, a layer of, of intrigue to everything. Uh, sorry, do you have... Yeah, you David have Lynch the... did create them before. Oh, okay, yeah. There were some that were as long as three minutes long, which... Oh, wow. Yeah, I do remember. So there really? Some there's some long ones? Yeah. And I, yeah, I don't think I've watched them all. Yeah, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. So no, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah. No, it's just um, the the it, because they weren't there in the original one in the original airing, but they're there now means you can bypass them. But I do think that they are a nice way to. It's like a hand holding thing, right? Where yeah, it, for it, what's it coming in, in the episode. Yeah. 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 
So the the did you? Oh well, yeah, the, the so the first one is just she talks a lot about mystery and stuff and uh, like towns. Everything has its own mystery and I don't remember how she gets around to it, but if it the kind of conclusion is like Laura is the one. Uh, like the epicenter of all this, which is true. I mean, that's what the whole series really becomes pretty quickly is who killed Laura Palmer and uh, what secrets did she have? And it's really kind of a indica- indicative. You said they were in 93. That would have been right after Firewalk with me. Yes. So, I mean, that's where David Lynch's head was, was uh, talking about Laura Palmer before she was kind of uh, killed or before the character was killed. So um, you kind of... That, that's very clear in the first episode that Laura was kind of the center of, of his thinking, at least, at well, that point. Well, she, even without Firewalk With Me. Yeah, yeah. She's still the center of the show. Yeah, definitely. So there's no getting around that, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that was kind of the Log Lady one. And yeah, we might comment on them in the future. We'll see. I mean, some are of more interest than others. Yeah. Um, so do you want to jump into the title sequence? Yeah, and... well, I, I thought, um, did you want to do a brief synopsis of what happens? In... I guess, yeah, you've got, you've got the plot line up here. You might well, well, yeah, I, I did, um, I did bring it up a little bit. There's, you, this is the, from the IMDb page. The residents of Twin Peaks reel in shock when high school homecoming queen Laura Palmer is found murdered, prompting an investigation involving the FBI. Agent Dale Cooper arrives and soon comes into contact with the various townsfolk, including an adulterous sawmill owner, an eyepatch-wearing housewife obsessed with drapes, and a mysterious log lady. Yeah, okay, so no, that it, was a pretty good summary. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it sets up what we're, yeah. what we're looking at. Yeah, which is the whole, you know, yeah, everything gets kickstarted with Laura Palmer's death, and then... Agent Cooper comes. Really, yeah, I mean, yeah. those are the kind of two halves Sets of this thing. Sets things into motion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, um, this episode takes place within yeah. within the, the time frame of the show on uh, Friday, February 24th, 1989. So yes. this is the morning that Laura Palmer is... Is found. Is found. Yes. So the she, dies the, she dies. Yeah, the night after she's killed. So, okay, yeah. opening credits. Yeah, opening credits. So <laughs> Which is where the whole thing kind of... I, I don't remember... The, this was my first introduction to the show as a 25-year-old was my dad making me sit down. Like, you have to watch this opening credit sequence. Really? Because it's incredible. Yeah. And I thought, why am I watching this? There's yeah. a a bird on a tree and, and then like just sawmill, sawmill and like and logs and, yeah and it's weird it right? goes on for <laughs> yeah we, we two minutes it. and 40 two seconds, minutes and 40 seconds we which is incredible it. just for this first episode it does change after this but uh yeah the first one's longer and it's very <laughs> like can yeah. you imagine sitting down in front of the tv and i guess if it was played off as a movie you would accept you might it accept more. a bit more but I mean, there's there's the whole well, there's just so many elements. To it. It's just a title sequence, but it's there's a lot there. Like there's the music, there's the um, yeah, Angelo Battlementi's score yeah, is just it's so great, phenomenal. And then I mean, like we were we were going to talk. Actually, maybe we should, this is a good chance. But uh, we found that the opening sequence really explored some of the themes and that's that's what the log lady does too uh is explore some right. of the themes in each of the episode uh and for the first episode i think a lot of the themes that come up again and again throughout the series are present and you kind of get a glimpse of them um and one of the big ones that's in the title sequence is uh nature versus man and that, that's right off the bat there's there's the bird uh, and then the next shot is of this, the this sawmill. Saw, well, yeah, the smokestack going up into the... Yeah. And there's... Yeah. All the, the machinery just, just working. The uh, teeth being sharpened yeah, on the saws. Yeah, it's a very... cut into the wood. And yeah. So there's a kind of violence that's going on there that these machines are... that The whole industry of the town is set up to... 
basically destroy nature. The town. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, really. <laughs> right. So it's it's kind of an interesting thing that you're you're seeing right off the bat. Yeah. But even without that textual analysis, you're still kind of getting that this is a. Well, yeah. I mean, it sets the setting, right? Yeah, and that's it's a and that's logging what, town. It's a logging town, right? And, so, and, and we all everything. we all know what those look like, and we all know what those feel like. So we come into this with some preconceived well, notions a bit about yeah, what yeah. a logging town would look like. Yeah, and, and and it has, and then the music really adds that element of uh, that kind of opera. ethereal. Yeah, yeah. Like you were saying, it's it's like a it's like a soap opera score from the eighties or. 90s. Yeah, I yeah. well, I I wrote down this in my notes that it's like a dynasty set in a sawmill. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. which is maybe not entirely accurate, but it kind of no. Feels but that like... that's kind of the feel, and then mm-hmm. uh, the way it interacts with like nature is is omnipresent there, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, the 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 opening credits are really, really just interesting on their own. Um, and again, the fact that they go on for almost three minutes yeah. is really noteworthy. And even when the regular episodes pick up. Yeah, they're, they're still, still long. like a yeah. minute long, yeah, or a which is and a half long. yeah. But I mean, so yeah, it's 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 a beautiful yeah, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful sequence. sequence, yeah, and it is very Lynchian. Like that'll that phrase is going to come up a lot. <laughs> I think this episode where it, it's you know it's focused on like sharpening sawmill equipment. Like what kind of <laughs> like whatever show would focus on something so automated and inhumane and uh, frankly like. Of no interest. Like, there's no interest to the plot. I mean, it's really not. It's just a bit of uh, setting building where, yeah, like you're saying, it's building the town and uh, its interaction with nature and everything. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. We love it. Yeah, it is a really good one. <laughs> so so the, the, the title sequence ends and you get this um, this kind of a fade of this, the music and there's this the foghorn sound that, yeah. that kind of bleeds away into the background as we... Uh, pan across uh, a dressing table or or something and we see the first character that we see in the film or in the the show is uh, who we later find out is Josie Packard Uh, but we see her in reflection in the mirror yeah she's in the mirror and she's applying her makeup and we both you know it's hard when you when you've already watched the show and I've watched the show I don't know how many times dozens of times probably I've seen this episode so many times and so I know her and I know her character and I know her arc where she's going yeah. so it's kind of hard to divorce myself from all of that knowledge but I can remember how I felt when a little bit how I felt when I watched the first time and and seeing her and thinking who is this woman and she's beautiful she is really a beautiful woman and doing her makeup but at the same time there's there's something very it's it's sinister and it's exotic and yeah. Aiden you brought up well yeah it's like uh it's very, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we'll get into with David Lynch and minorities, but uh, there's, you know, there's a kind of an exotic uh, orientalism to it. Like, she's basically in geisha makeup, even though she's from China and, you know, or Hong Kong, I think, is yeah. where her character's supposed to be from. Uh, and, you know, so it's not really a culturally appropriate thing, but the, he's just got her decked out in this this kind of ornamental... Uh, very very pale face yeah and, and bright lipstick and and she's and wearing it's, but it's like just a friday like it like it's yeah. just something she did i guess but it's but it's it signifies a kind of uh, a status i think as well is that here's this woman who obviously leads a life of luxury yeah she's, yeah she's in this beautiful opulent yeah, surroundings house, yeah. and she's wearing this beautiful black i think it's black 
like yeah. a nightgown or yeah, something. Yeah, basically. You know, she's very pre- presentable and, and done up. Um, when we, we move away from her and we go down and we see um, the next characters that we see, it's never clear that, that, I guess it isn't clear right away that this is the same house but it is yeah oh no you know yeah it's pretty clear it's yeah yeah it's it's uh pete and uh catherine martell yeah and they're and i like i the first shot of them is i think it's it's just lovely it's it's uh pete's you know going about to go fishing and got his tackle box yeah he's got his box all in his arm and and he tries to give catherine a kiss well no he like leans over and like rubs her ear or something like that and she just kind of scorns at him but it the way that that shot is filmed is very uh again very lynchian there's there's very little movement um it's a very static shot everything is arranged just so so that pete's movement and the coldness that uh catherine gives off by not uh responding to him at all is just super evident right the, right off the bat and it's really like it's it's their whole relationship really in a nutshell yeah it's it's a brilliant shot. it's a brilliant yeah. introduction and we'll we'll be talking a lot about the character introductions because every single one of the character introductions is done so masterfully we should mention that um jo- josie packard is played by joan chen and we've got jack nance and piper laurie as do we have to mention all the yes, actors absolutely because th- we're going to be talking about how these actors come back in multiple days yeah I, productions, well some so. of them do yeah 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 jack nance does for absolutely sure. yeah. so so you you know you're getting some quality actors here yeah but, uh yeah, well, yeah, so, yeah. So, but anyway, these character introductions um, set up perfectly. No, it's it's absolutely perfect. Once you, you once you get into into their the rest their storylines, yeah. you look Reveal back and you're lot, like that. Yeah. Those introductions were just note perfect. Yeah. So the coldness of the of the Martell relationship yeah. is evident from the get go. Well, and Josie, I mean. <laughs> even her reveal is like she's really just kind of an object in a lot of cases like she's just she gets tossed around and she you know her character isn't really that strong in a lot of cases so she does she just kind of comes off as kind of ornamental in, in a lot of cases which is what the whole makeup and being looked at through a mirror kind of is indicative of so right, right. i think there's i think there's a lot there but it also her. sets up uh, Josie's introduction sets up one of the other themes that's present in a lot of David Lynch's mm-hmm. works, which is this theme of like duality, yeah. or the you know there's two Josies. There's the back of her head yeah. that we see, and then we see her face in the mirror, and yeah. and that's going to come up again. Mirrors again, obviously, yeah. not just for the duality, but for other reasons what they that reflect. will become. Yeah, like yeah, what's inside, and yeah, and that's one of the it'll major it'll ones, come so. up more often later in the series, but yeah, so those are those are present right from the. Very, very first shot yeah. after the opening sequence. So. Yeah, yeah. And then from there, it moves on out into nature. You follow Pete. He's going to go fishing. And he's it's very spots. early morning. Yeah, His yeah. first line. Oh, he says gone fishing or going fishing going or something. Gone fishing or something. Yeah. Yeah, but then he goes out into the, in, uh, walking along the beach in yeah. front of the Blue Pine Lodge where he lives. And uh, Love that you know the name. That's lucky. Yeah, well. It's just the house. Like, yeah, but it's they've, the they've Blue named Pine it. Lodge. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and he says, I just love that line yeah. and the way he delivers it, this kind of drawl. And, yeah. and he's just this, like, he seems like such a, such a simple guy. Like, yeah. I just want to go have a beer with him. Yeah, you yeah, know? he is. like. So he's kind of like a perfect way to be introduced to the, the, the town, the like, town yeah, and, like, and the people. But not only that. I, he he's the conduit through which we discover the horror of what's happened to Laura exactly. because he turns around yeah. and he sees this giant log on the beach and, and beside it, yeah. it 
is, is Laura's well, body. The, yeah, the plastic well, that he sees, yeah. He, yeah, he sees her wrapped and it, Yeah, that's plastic. true. That is that is a great gateway because, yeah, he's the small town character. He's a simpleton. Yeah. He doesn't make any bones about that. He, he enjoys his lifestyle yep. of, you know, two by fours and four by eights. And that's what he does. And then, yeah, it's intru- It's in a massive intrusion. It's like all of a sudden there's a body there. He goes on down. On his beach. On his beach. In front of his house. Yes. And so he, Where yeah. he's going to be going fishing. Yeah. So he walks down to the log and he kind of skirts around the log and finds uh, that the, he doesn't know it's Laura, but he knows it's a woman and he sees yeah. uh, her hair. Yeah. And there's this lovely Lynchian lingering shot on just the, the body. The, yeah, but you just see her hair poking yeah. out and yeah. covered in, in sand and yeah. And bits of Even the way the way he reveals, like he films it basically from Pete's point of view, like when he comes around the corner of the log to find her, it's a very Lynch Lynchian esque uh, Lynchian. I guess it's a lynching shot of because uh, you don't know what's around the corner. It's a very simple horror shot that he uses in a lot of his films. And but stuff, yeah, it's it's where, from from the character's perspective. Yeah, exactly. You and sometimes when you get into some of the dream logic stuff that that comes in his other movies and and future episodes, you really see like. You don't know what's coming around that corner. You might think, oh, yeah, well, I've seen the... There's plastic. There's going to be plastic there. Sometimes uh, that's not what's there. And, and the character is just as surprised or terrified as the viewer to to realize that. And it's, a, it's a thing that comes up. So he builds this kind of rapport with the the audience of what to expect from shots like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting. So anyway, Pete, Pete discovers that there's a body there and he runs back up to the house. Calls and the sheriff. Oh dear, oh dear. He's oh, just yeah. so, he's, he's so, he's so lovable. Yeah. I just, you he's know. He's so hurt already. He's like, yeah, oh no, this is a bad thing. And he calls up the, the Twin Peaks Sheriff <laughs> Department and asks for Harry Truman, who's the, the sheriff, and gets Lucy on the horn. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> well, that's what he says. That's like, what they say. Uh, I'm yeah. just using yes, the lexicon that I've been presented with. Yeah, I guess. So he wants to talk directly to to the sheriff, and we get this lovely introduction to the law enforcement yeah. team, which works. In well, it's mostly an introduction to Lucy. It's and well, no, I mean you get Truman. Uh, yeah, okay, but I mean the you get more of Truman throughout the show. But that first thing it tells you everything you need to know about Lucy, like Lucy's and character. You need to know about Truman too. I, I suppose, but I'm going to deal with Lucy okay, first because I think Lucy. we can deal with. Not just Lucy, but how humor works in the mm-hmm, show, sure. and especially in the first episode. And I find this is one of the biggest differences uh, between when Lynch directs and when other uh, directors take the helm is how they deal with the humor that's in the script. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Lucy just, you know, she just rambles. She's she's trying to explain. I'm going to transfer a call to the phone nearby you, and it takes 45 seconds and like probably 150 well, words even, for her to even, explain yeah. where she's going to transfer the call. And Truman just is patiently waiting for her to finish the explanation, even though he probably knew. Right he knew away. exactly which phone it was going to go to. Yeah, but I mean, it's just. But it's, he deals with this every day. This yeah, is like, this is his life every life, day. Is, this and, is Lucy, and yeah. I just have to wait it out. Wait it out. She'll get to her point eventually. And and it's and it's that kind of interplay between like a patient acceptance and then just over the top kind of ridiculous uh, verbosity and, and stuff that. Uh, just over the topness, kind of a not not surrealist, but like a, just an exaggeration of everything. That's where a lot of the humor comes from is exaggeration, like Andy's response Which when we'll he finds. To. Well, it's right away, but yeah, <laughs> uh, Andy's response to finding the body is just over the top, and uh, a lot of the characters, the other ones that are you know there for comic relief, also do it. Um, I, I wouldn't say that Lucy's only there for comic relief, though. Like, no, she that's is, true. She is a necessary part, and she she shows herself to be a fairly capable. She's a receptionist for the, or the, I don't yeah. know. They call them receptionists. Yeah, but she does assistant. everything for the 
she answers the phones, she directs yeah. the calls, she yeah. takes, you know, yeah. writes yeah. up the arrest reports and stuff. Yeah, and she, she's and she becomes a an valuable member of the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department. Yeah. And, she's and, just a little quirky. Yeah. And she looks quirky. She's got this, you know, crimped hair and, hair and, and, and like, little pursed lips and yeah, stuff. Yeah, she's and, Kimmy Robertson. She's, yeah, she's yeah. She's adorable, yeah. right? And so you love her right away. Yeah. She's like Pete. She's, she's just a nice way to be yeah, introduced to, to this aspect, aspect of the world, of, yeah, right? yeah. So, so yeah. we get this phone call, and the phone, the call gets transferred, which is funny because the phone rings. So Truman would have known as soon yeah. as she transferred the call. There was that whole thing was completely unnecessary, which always makes me laugh every time I watch. Well, that's that, true. That I never scene. even realized that yeah. it rings and then he picks. Yeah. Up. <laughs> so it's it's just it yeah, even funny. more redundant. Yeah. But when he picks up the phone and and he hears uh, Pete say that uh, the famous line that she's dead, wrapped in plastic. And and Truman just immediately goes into sheriff mode. He's like, where? What's going on? Don't, you know, I'll be right up there. Well, okay, so at that point it does split and there's there's basically two different things. There's the Palmer family finding out about Laura's death and uh, the sheriff and everyone there finding out that it's Laura in the, in the plastic. Right. Um, and they both, in my mind, they both kind of serve a similar purpose. It's It's very much... Well, first of all, you do find out that Laura's dead before the Palmers even start trying to find out. So as the audience, you're aware, oh, it's Laura Palmer and it's Sheriff Truman who says that and he's just heartbroken already. And then you get Mrs. Palmer trying to call around and find out, oh, well, where's Laura? Oh, no, because she doesn't she's, call first. No, she waits, yeah, she's first. waiting for Laura to come down for breakfast. Yes. And like any mother of a teenage daughter, she's, you know, chain smoking. Yeah. She's stressed <laughs> out. My kid's going to be late for school. Yeah. And she's calling up to her, calling up to her. I'm not going to call you again. Yes, I am. Yeah. And then she eventually goes up the stairs and Aiden wa- yeah. wants to talk about the shot. <laughs> I just love the the uh, stairway shot of uh, the Palmer household because they come back to it again and again. Uh, in the first episode, they do it, you know, I think just two or three times. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it's a it's a creepy shot somehow. It's just the, the fan is going, um, but there's nothing else there. And the first one, uh, Lindsay mentioned this, is it's dark. You look up at the stairs and you can't really see. All the really doors see. are closed yeah, to all the, the bedrooms and everything at the top yeah. of the stairs. It's like like you were saying, all the secrets are hidden behind the doors. And then she goes in and opens each door and lets in light. And you It's kind s- of a metaphor for what, what is going to happen in yeah. the show. Like yeah. we're trying to find out on, yeah, on all these dark secrets that are hidden in this town, right? Yeah. I think what makes it creepy is that it's this, again, it's that Lynchian, that static shot yes. where all the action is happening, but the camera stays perfectly still. Yes. So, and you don't see what's, there's one brief shot where, where Laura's mom's played by Grace Zabriskie, uh, where she looks into Laura's room and you kind of pan across the room and you see that it's, it's, it's empty. a little girl's room, but it's yeah. empty. Yeah. But, it, but it is a little girl's room. There's teddy bears and yeah. Yeah. Uh, cute things in the yeah. room. But, um, Aside from that, everything else is is seen from the bottom of the stairs looking up. And yeah, there's that cir- circling circling uh, fan, fan the, the, <laughs> the rotating fan at the yeah. top of the stairs, which, yeah, comes back to play. Do you hear the fan? I think that's all you hear. Yeah, I think that's it too. Which is yeah. also creepy. There's this whirring sound. Yeah, yeah. Which is, is <laughs> it's unnerving. Just, it's just unsettling, it's like, yeah. And you don't really... I don't know why, but it just is. It it's, is. It's it's very unsettling. Yeah. But we also it's it's unsettling too on another level because like well, we've seen already that her that daughter dead. is dead. Yeah. She doesn't I think know that's this. part of it. Yeah. And and we know that there's been tremendous horror. There's something. 
that's coming. Like, you know, Sarah Palmer is going to have to face this. She hasn't had to yet. And it's relatable in a way because we can all kind of imagine how that must feel when, you know, you've realized your child is gone. Yeah. But so, so anyway, yeah. Yeah, there's that, she, there's that shot. And then she find then she freaks out and she's calling around to find, she calls, uh, she calls Laura's, her, yeah, Laura's uh, boyfriend's family. family. The Briggs family. The Briggs, Betty and, yeah. and Major, Major Briggs. Briggs. And ask where he is, uh, if they know where she is. They don't. And then she realizes, oh, maybe they went up to Great Northern, uh, which is where And her... she calls the, the coach. She calls Bobby's football yeah, coach, that's too. Right, too. And you find out that he hasn't been at practice yet. So for, all yeah. of a sudden we have this the, the, a suspect, right? Yeah, because yeah, where right is Bobby? Yeah. Who's Bobby and, and where is he? How yeah. does he play into this? Yeah. But yes, then Sarah does call up to where her husband uh, is Leland working. Is her husband working. Leland is working up at the Great Northern he's Hotel. A lawyer, and he's we find out trying that he's to close a, a deal with the Norwegians. Well, yes, on behalf of Ben Horn, who is yeah. the owner of the hotel, and yes. we meet them in front of a giant fireplace. Yeah, they're, they're, that's the first instance of fire in the in the series. Yes. and it's it's the two of them standing around. You can tell right away that they're kind of set up as bad guys. Just the way they're dressed, they're they're in very Wall Streety kind of big suits, and and they're talking about business deals and. Like, they're kind of the amoral businessmen of Twin Peaks. Um, at least Ben is. I mean, Leland, right away you feel bad for him because he's going to find out his daughter died. Uh, yeah. But Ben is kind of set up as, like, an unfeeling asshole yeah. right from the start. Um, and well, that, he only cares about the, the business deal that's, that's yeah. at hand. And, and I think we move right into the the Norwegians. Yeah. And the scene where they're trying to... Yeah. They're having breakfast. They're having a... It's a big breakfast meeting. There's a huge contingent of, yeah. of Norwegian businessmen who are... The deal is, as as we... I don't know yeah. when we find out about this, but the they're trying to buy episode. land. Yeah. And yeah, you know, they, they're, they're going to invest with Ben to build uh, some sort of a development. It's, yeah, it goes housing the development. Or yeah, so probably a housing development or yeah. something. So to so, expand Twin Peaks or something. And they need money from the outside investors. So they've got, in this case, Norwegians are there and they're they're trying to do a final pitch to get them to sign. Yeah. That's why Leland's there to finish the contracts and get them to sign. Uh, and yeah, I also like this shot. Lindsay didn't really care for it. It's not the shot, it's just the scene. It's the scene, yeah. Well, but it's also the way it's angled. Like uh, they're in a big you know, big hall basically. And there, all the Norwegians are around sitting, eating breakfast and Ben's giving an inspirational speech to try and convince them to put their money in there into Twin Peaks. And I just found it interesting because the translator is kind of talking over top of them. And it's, it's a very, uh, weird shot that way. Um, cause usually, you know, generally in television, I know Lindsay doesn't really agree with this. She thinks I'm overstepping, but I can't recall many scenes where, Unless someone's arguing, uh, where two characters are talking over top of one another. But um, it is it is an interpreter giving... Yes, but we've seen... Interpreters are in other shows, too. Like, we just watched the West Wing episode where it was played for comedy effect of... you, tra- you The translator goes down the chain, and then the translation comes back up yeah, the chain. Yeah, that's that's... Yeah, but, that, but that's usually... And when you I, watch the other scenes in the West Wing where Marley Matlin's character is the, yeah, okay. the, deaf, the ASL, ASL is, is and... a little different because it's expected. But generally... Uh, you have one character talking and it's like, don't roll your eyes at me. I'm no, saying. I just don't, I just don't know what you're getting at. Well, no, I don't I, know the point. I, I think it's just, it's, um, it, it gives a little bit of Ben's character is that he doesn't wait for the translation to finish. He, he is, even though if the people he's talking to doesn't understand them, doesn't understand him, he's going to make them understand through force of his own will. Like that's, that's kind of Ben's thing is I will do anything it takes to get this done and I don't need help. I don't need support. I don't need a translator for people who aren't understanding a single word I'm saying. 
and even his great uh his joke at the end like oh my air sacks or whatever have never felt better they don't laugh until uh the translation comes but ben you know he doesn't attribute that to any outside force it's it's his uh yeah it's his force of will that kind of makes it work and uh it's just it's also just a kind of an unsettling shot again i don't think another director another director would have said no no you translate after the guys finish speaking but uh lynch has them just going just on the same page really uh just continuing and interrupting almost and it's it's just another it's a slightly offsetting audio cue in my mind i don't know Lindsay didn't care for it well i just don't i just don't see the significance that you do that's all it's just difference of of uh focus yeah yeah focus we'll call it that um anyway then then a receptionist from the great northern comes in the concierge comes in and says that leland needs his wife is on the phone so he needs to go and take the call and ben there's an interesting moment which kind of ties into what you were saying where ben's like make it snappy he only cares about himself he doesn't give a shit that why why uh, leland's wife is calling he doesn't give a shit about any of that it's it's about him and the deal make it snappy hurry back your wife can wait and Leland goes out to take this phone call and his wife is in panic mode because she can't find Laura. And she thinks Laura's with Leland and Leland's like, she's probably with Bobby. And then Sarah completely has a breakdown. Well. She does. She, she starts start, crying no, and, and she, she's, she just thinks. No, she, he, she starts freaking out after, he, after uh, Leland realizes that, uh, that Sheriff Truman has come to see him. And she, he says, I think she's already kind well, of. Well, she's, she's, yeah, she's like, oh, I don't know, why wouldn't she leave a note? And yeah, like, that's but what that's, she says. this and is then, like a mother's intuition, yes. I think, coming into play that she's. Well, yeah, and. Well, it's more than that, but. but yeah, and even even Leland is, he starts. You can see it visibly, like like uh, what's the actor who plays him, Ray Wise. Ray Wise. He does a great job of already being concerned, but trying to you know be strong for his wife more than anything. It feels like he's trying to say, oh well, no, no, there's a, another explanation. Yeah. But even he doesn't really believe that. And especially then when Sheriff Truman comes in and he can hear that he's being asked for at the yeah, and he desk. says like oh, Sheriff Truman, and that freaks That's them both when, out. Yeah, and then from there, nothing no, even said. No, nothing is said. He doesn't. He just, I think. Yeah. I think Leland asks, is, "Is it about my daughter?" Yeah, it's and about Sheriff Laura. Truman says, "I'm afraid so," I'm afraid or something, so, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And th- and there's. There's no reveal that it's that Laura's dead, but Leland already knows, and of course on the other end of the phone, Sarah already knows too. Yeah. And then there's another fantastic Lynch shot where uh, this one. <laughs> the Leland drops the phone, and you just follow the phone cord from the the phone base down to the receiver hanging off the table, and it's one of those loopy the the coiled cords, you know, back when telephones had, had cords. cords, and. Uh, and you can hear Sarah on the other end crying, and then it cuts right to Grace Zabriskie, who does this fantastic, just shrieking scream, which is just so unnerving in and of itself that she—that's what yeah. you—that's that—that's just what she does so well. Her face is so expressive, and yeah. and, and well, she's I know that just, scream is very yeah, yeah, unique, she's just yeah. beside herself. But I find it interesting. I know you again. I don't know if you're gonna find this cool too, but uh, how the telephone is like another. Um, it's like the the medium through which their grief is transmitted. Like it's like as soon as they get on the phone with each other, they're on the same uh, well, yeah. emotional plane. But the, and... if you think about it, almost all of the conversations, like all the transmission of information thus far, has been done. Over yeah, the over the phone, and same with, and we'll get into this in some of the future shots uh, too, like uh, in the school and at the mill. It's all done over technology. Yeah. Um, there's, Intercoms. There's, yeah, and stuff like yeah. That. There's nothing really. Uh, 
that's set. It, like, there's nothing very personal about it. I mean, you have Rewise and or, uh, Leland grabbing onto Sheriff Truman sure. and, and almost collapsing. Um, and that's a very real moment. But again, he doesn't say that Laura's dead that way. It's just, it's a nonverbal cue. And then the actual transmission of it is over this technology, which yeah. is, yeah. Again, it, and it gets back to that human versus nature kind of thing. Like, humans are the ones killing each other and humans are the ones who are hurting each other even you know, involuntarily, uh, just by exchanging information and stuff. Right. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a little different. Yeah. Um, so then after that, I mean, I've got, we, you can go scene by scene if you want, but I mean, the next, the gist of it is the, for the next 25 minutes or so. It's all the other characters in town learning, learning about, about Laura's Laura death. Fun. And it, but I think it is, it is worthwhile going through scene by scene because these are all important characters who come back. And, and like I said, these introductions are so key and they cap off with the the brilliant introduction of, of Agent Cooper. So I, I do think we should talk a little bit about how... Well, let's pick a couple, because, yeah, we don't need to do well, all of them. Well, but... immediately we, we meet Bobby. And he's important, right? He's the very next character that we meet. Yeah. At the double R with yeah. Shelley. With Shelley. And Norma. Yeah. So these three characters who have their own storylines that play out, but right now they're... Well, and they don't even... They but that's haven't the thing, even yeah, they don't even realize. And, but that's kind of an interesting one, because Bobby, you realize right away he's cheating on... He was cheating on Laura. Yeah. And and that's the first instance of a hidden relationship being expressed in the right. thing. And though that comes up by the end of the show, I think I had six. <laughs> I, yeah, I took, or the end of this episode. Yeah, the six, episode, yeah. yeah. There, yeah. there are like five or six uh, relationships that are hidden uh, in one way or another. And yeah. it's and it adds to that soap opera feel yes. of everyone sleeping with everybody else in this this small town. But it also but it, adds it, up it, to... And it fits in with this this idea of the duality that, that David Lynch plays with because there's this surface appearance what they have like laura is this homecoming queen and and bobby is he's on the football team well, he's a, yeah the, the quarterback the captain or something. of the captain, yeah, yeah, yeah captain whatever football team he's he's a you know a jock and and they're the perfect couple but here he is sleeping with a waitress from the double r yeah you know so who's also married like we yeah. should find out right away too yeah because yeah. yeah so like, it's it's very but even even from the beginning there's you know hints that i when i first watched it i thought norma was the one that he was yeah screwing around oh with. i thought he was doing both yeah <laughs> like the first time yeah, i watched it, i'm so, like oh he's totally trying to sleep with all of them right right because it's it's she's kind of uh well they flirt a little bit yeah almost? well and they, and they do flirt he's yeah. like this one's for you norman he plays the song or whatever and it's don't do anything or i'll uh, see you in my dreams see you in my dreams norma. yeah not and if it's i like, see you first yeah it's very odd and they never pick up with that that's no, it's it's an it's a weird way, but it With and it, it doesn't exactly set up Norma's character as well because she does end up being a much sweeter, yeah, uh, yeah, kind know, of motherly figure. Yeah, but um, but it sets up Bobby for sure, yeah. and Shelley. Yeah, so these two who appear to be roughly maybe a couple years apart in age, yeah, probably. Um, Bobby is uh, in high school. I'm guessing he's probably 17 or 18. Yeah, and Shelly's yeah. probably 18 or 19. Well, I figured like 1920, yeah. But okay. yeah, because she's been married. She's married already, so. Yeah, but she dropped out of 11th grade. Oh, did she? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't That's mentioned that. in, in a later, later episode. episode. Okay. But she's, anyway, she's married to this long haul truck driver. And when they come up, the, so Bobby offers to take Shelly home uh, on his way to football practice, which we know he's already skipped, which is disorienting time-wise, but then disorienting space-wise as well, because where exactly does Shelley live that... And where's the would, diner? Like, like where is yeah, anything the whole in this geography town? Because they drive, they drive out into the country to drop Shelley off at yeah. home. It's almost like it's not where a... Where is the... It's almost the, like it's not a town so much as it is... A feeling? Well, yeah, and it's like, it's like a... 
almost like a suburban town in that like everybody's really far apart. Like it's almost like it's a rural township. Maybe like it's like maybe fifty square miles. Yeah, but then there are there are. But then there's town. like a downtown. There's yeah, like, and there's houses like yeah. where the Palmers live yeah, and where the like Haywards a, live. They live on tree residential streets. streets. Yeah. yeah, so but, but it's weird. Yeah, but, but they're all considered in Twin Peaks. But beyond that, as what what I'm getting at is that yeah. there's this. Where is the school in relation to the diner? And where is Shelley in relation to well, both I mean, of those? I think two? a lot of that's just a TV trope. Like the yeah, Simpsons could be, has gone by for fifty years. For sure, <laughs> but know. I mean, it just it just adds to this disorientation that you feel. Like this town doesn't. It couldn't quite. You couldn't map it out. People have tried. David Lynch has tried. There are maps out there if you look. Um, <laughs> and and they they try and roughly. Well, yeah. I mean, it's interesting to, to try and see. And I did my research for this episode. So you did all but the research. <laughs> it's 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 vastly disorienting yeah and it's it's confusing yeah and you can't you don't get the feeling that you can that you can set this place down in stone and i think that's done on purpose because then it all these these horrible things are happening in this town where time is kind of played with and and space is kind of played with it it i don't know i just find that yeah i never found that in my first watch through um probably because the first episode, like your first time you watch it, you're just watching for plot and you're trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And it's who confusing are anyways. Yeah, How who are they related? Are they? Exactly. And once you, uh, and the later episodes don't do that as much, I find, because Lynch didn't direct them. So there, there's just a, a bit more simplicity to the, to the layout. But I mean, you're right. I mean, I think, I think it's mostly just a TV trope, but that's just me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, it's definitely interesting. And like, in that, that first driving shot when, uh, uh, Bobby and, and, uh, What's her name? Shelly. Terrible names, obviously. Uh, they're driving in uh, to back to Shelly's house. And uh, it's very reminiscent of another David Lynch movie that he'd make a couple years later, which is Wild at Heart. That year, he made it in 1990. Oh, he when did. When he was on break from, from Twin Peaks. From Twin Peaks, yeah. And it, you can tell that it's it, it's about a young couple in love. And they're just, well, they're not in love. They're in lust, basically. Uh, and it's, you know, another young couple. You know, it's Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern, another... Uh, you know, kind of athletic-ish. <laughs> I don't know. Nicholas Cage is his own man. Can't can't quantify him. Um, but it, they have very similar shots where they're just driving and they're draped over each other and they're just stroking and loving and and all this. Uh, and it's it's, but they're also like, you can tell they're kind of stupid and they don't really know what's going on. And that happens right away in Twin Peaks because they, uh, Shelley's like, oh no, my old man. And that, that confused the hell out of me. I have to say, old man for me is really? a father figure. I didn't wow. know old man was a parlance for a for a like a boyfriend or a husband or anything until the old lady. Yeah, no. The old man. Huh? Yeah, okay, okay. So okay. I'm just stupid, anyways. Uh, so she's like, "Oh no, my old man's in Butte, Montana," and then they pull up, and oh no, Leo Johnson, her husband, is there uh, at the house, and it, and I think that's one. I think that's the best introduction of a character. He's not the even there. You, you don't just even see, see his him. truck. And it's just the two characters' reactions to the possibility that he might see them together. They're not even doing anything really at that point. Uh, Bobby's just driving her. But they, like, freak out and he has to, like, drop her off, kicks her out of the car, and then speeds away because he's so terrified of Leo Johnson. I think that's just a great character introduction. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you don't know who the hell Leo is. Even And he, I think he was only in one other scene in the yeah. whole first in the pilot. So it's, it's weird to think of that, but... Mm-hmm. Um, for the rest of the series, you're like, oh yeah, no, I can see why they were so scared and it, mm-hmm. it works really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a great scene. But then all the other characters really, you meet them as they're learning about Laura's death. Um, or re-meet them in the case of 
when Bobby finds out. Well, Bobby, out. and well, and even I guess uh, you get a brief introductions of uh, Audrey Horn and uh, Donna Hayward, Donna and uh, James Hurley. James Hurley. Thank you. Yes, because these are the these are the high school characters. So we yeah. move to the high school um, very quickly after this and see the high school, which barely plays a role in the rest of the series, but is very central to the first episode because this is where all the all of Laura's friends uh, find out about her death. And similarly to the way that uh, Sarah Palmer, Laura's mom, finds out, or intuits anyway, that, that Laura's uh, been, been murdered or that she's dead anyway, you have Donna who notices that, that Laura's chair is empty and yeah. she hasn't, you know, James hasn't seen her all day and, or all morning yet anyway, and, and Donna hasn't seen her obviously. So when a police officer comes into the classroom as the teacher is is taking attendance, she they, just yeah. immediately looks to when the, when the when the police officer asks to speak to the teacher privately, and then there's a, the a student yeah, who oh, runs away out that the shot window. Is so cool, like, where she's like screaming, she's and screaming. Donna just clutches her chest, and she, she looks knows. over at the at the empty desk. She clutches her chest. She looks at James, and she just knows. She yeah. says, "Laura," like she knows that something this, this something bad has happened, yes, and it's Laura, Laura who it's been affected. And I find that's that's a great instance of um how he gets it um appearance in reality like there's no reason for or maybe not it's maybe it's not an appearance in reality but it's an interior like a subconscious knowledge and then a conscious knowledge uh because there's there's no reason to immediately assume that laura is dead but they all know that laura had problems but nobody else none of the parents know None of the parents knew that she was doing cocaine, which you find out about in this episode even. Uh, nobody knew that, like, Sheriff Truman is like, oh, no, you don't understand. You don't know Laura Palmer. She could not have had bad things happen to her. And but then all these people But all the other people know. do know. And it's and so as soon as they realize, and I think one of them even says, well, it just makes sense. Oh, yeah, it's James Hurley at the end of the episode. He says, well, it just makes sense that she died. Right. Uh, because she, there's something was going wrong with her right. her whole life. and But it's in this placid... Um, you know, and we didn't even get into the, the look of the school, but everybody's kind of in this almost fifties kind of home or a homey kind of, uh, well, it's retro, but in in that way that retro was done in the eighties where everything was looking back to the fifties, Yeah, which is, again, is, is, is playing with time and playing with, you can't place these characters in any, aside from the fact that we see calendars that say the date is 1989 you well, wouldn't know that technology and stuff like that sure but, yeah, but yeah. it's it's all very um yeah everything else it's is, hard to pinpoint yeah yeah and the characters are purposely done up that way all of them i mean james hurley's like the yeah uh, he's like a james dean james dean kind type of character yeah, and, and donna has this you know she wears these calf length dresses and, are, and these knit sweaters yeah and her hair yeah. is cropped audrey horn who we haven't talked about yeah. much yet is wearing these well these her her introduction let's just talk and... about her like she has her own theme song first yeah, of all when she yeah. appears and yeah she has these these shoes and lynch loves to fetishize feet. weird well feet and like little little things of personal style yeah so it can be you know a jacket or something like that and in, in wild at heart he does yeah. uh and then yeah for audrey it's her shoes and she has these yeah. what are you saddle shoes they're saddle shoes yeah the white what, and what black is, saddle, saddle shoe and it's a type of shoe Okay. That's all. Does that have the, anything to do with saddles? I don't know. I don't know the history of that. I'll look <laughs> okay. it up and we'll talk okay, about we it next episode. About it later, but, sure. but yeah, so she's wearing these saddle shoes and she's got this, you know, short cropped hair. And, and when she gets to school, she changes out of the saddle shoes into these bright red pumps, which don't match the rest of her outfit. She's wearing like a pink sweater and a yeah. plaid skirt. But, but the fact that she's 
again playing with her perception. So she leaves home. Yeah. She her dad is is Ben Horn who who owns this the, the guy who's looking so after that. Yeah. She's leaving the hotel where she lives, and she gets into the her limo drawn or limo uh, chauffeur driven limo with these saddle shoes on, and then she gets to school and she gets to her locker and she sneaks a cigarette at her locker and puts on these red shoes. So she's playing a part. She's putting on an appearance. She's putting on a, a mask almost when she gets to school that isn't there when she leaves home. Yeah, which is something that a lot of kids do well yeah it's just realistic but on top of that it it does play into what we think about laura as well because laura did the opposite right she was this she was this troubled very very troubled girl in her private life in her private life but in her public life everybody thought she was she was a homecoming queen and she had this adorable boyfriend and they were she was beautiful and blonde you know even that 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 audrey has this dark striking dark hair and laura's this blonde bubbly looking you know cheerleader type right so so immediately when you when you start to peel away the layers here you see that these two are supposed to be set up as uh, a contrast to one another yeah so there's and there's just another shot i want to talk (laughs) i know Lindsay's gonna get tired of these but you might let's wait and see uh so there's a shot when bobby comes to school after he's dropped off uh shelly and he arrives and his friend mike is there and i this shot to me i don't know why uh well he so he uses it here at the start. He also uses it uh, at the end, near the end of the episode when Bobby gets out of uh, jail. Uh, it's Bobby, or his friend Mike, is perched up against a wall horizontally or vertically, like straight up and down. In the foreground. Yeah, in the foreground. And then there, and then Bobby comes up in the middle ground. Uh, from along, the background to the mid. To, yeah, from to the, the background mid to, the front. to the mid to the front on this kind of like uh, diagonal uh, vanishing point line of like, uh, so the camera's tilted so that Mike can, or not tilted, it's angled such that Mike is vertical and Bobby is coming across the diagonal. And then uh, in this, the initial scene in the school, the principal then appears in the background in the, in the, like the right hand third and to admonish Bobby and bring him into the office. And I just thought it was, it's just a, it's just a little touch of, you know, cinematic flair that uh, I, I mean, it's really not that interesting on its own. But it's very indicative of the way Lynch will treat every shot as an opportunity to say something. Like Bobby is the one who's uh, you can you can see his body movements and you can s- capture how cocky and confident and uh, un- unperturbed he is by everything. And it's setting him up for uh, hazard when he finds out that Laura's dead. But it's also Mike as a stoic kind of solitary figure who's who's there to back up Bobby and deliver news. And then you know figures of authority are in the background there's 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 just stuff to see in that one shot that uh that's really really just lynchian and really not something you get in all of the other uh episodes later on probably a lot of it because of the budget and the tv uh limitations of tv they were working on sound stages well and the fact more. that david lynch wasn't directing it so. well exactly yeah i mean like that's the thing like even when he does do the tv episodes like i mentioned in the the introduction episode like he he finds ways to make it uh different and interesting and visually uh, appealing and yeah that's just a really good example and it comes up again yeah later on in the the episode so you have bobby come in he gets called in the office where he gets well that's when the the we find that deputy hawk and deputy brennan are already there to interview him because yeah. they want to know where he was um yeah how what's his alibi because what do and do? he doesn't he doesn't get told immediately that his girlfriend is yeah. dead that's sheriff truman comes in after he 
he's already being interviewed, which I thought was odd that he would be interviewed without his parents or a lawyer present. Well, but yeah, but they say, like, did you, did they advise you of your rights? Maybe he's 18 and they don't need yeah, to. It's not really still, clear. It's like he, he could be, he like, a fourth year have... high school student because <laughs> he's a jock. But he still like... has, that's, that's well, no, a but stereotype, <laughs> Aiden, not all jocks. Hashtag. Okay. Anyway. But yeah, well, no, he's, but he's, he still has rights and he still well, shouldn't have been interviewed wrote, without. No, they read it to him and they're like, did they apprise you of your rights? And he's like, yes, but I didn't know why. Yeah, I know that, but he still should have had a lawyer present. Like, well, he could have waived that rights, right? I guess, but I, I don't know. It just, once, once Sheriff Truman comes in and, and tells the principal to. Well, it was just an interesting, an interesting thing, you know. It's but it, but it, but it might come into play because this is a small town and everybody knows everybody else. Well, it's so. the thing, right? It, you get the sense that Bobby isn't scared, and I mean, and that's that's um, because he didn't do anything. Really, well, he doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, he has no idea. Sheriff Truman tells him that his girlfriend is dead, and then Bobby puts the pieces together. Like you think I did it, and and he, you know, lashes out as one would when they've been accused of murder, even yes. obliquely. Yeah. Uh, before being, you know, carted off to make make a phone call so he can have his parents or his a lawyer come down, mm-hmm. and they can finish the interview, you know. Yeah, and and but at the same time, I think well, and this is something we talked about before we started recording was that uh, the great thing about having all these characters exposed to Laura's death at individual times, it really doesn't let you guess who the killer is, like because it, it, it exposes you to everybody's reaction, so you can see their initial thing. Of course, Bobby's upset, not just because. He's being accused, but also because you get the sense he did care. He did care about Laura, and so he's or he could be upset because he's going to get caught. Exactly right, right? and and so there's a lot of those things. The same thing happens when um, when the principal makes the announcement in the next scene. uh, The we go back to that classroom where Donna and James and Audrey are obviously upset now all their classmates are hearing that laura is actually dead and donna's crying and james snaps a pencil because that's his well he did that before but yeah yeah whatever he's 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 upset and you see audrey and she kind of smiles a little bit so you that my immediate thought was she did it yeah she's (laughs) so funny i never i never considered because well because you find out later that she was raped and stuff like that so or she had laura was laura was the night she was killed so I mean, that didn't <laughs> leave that to me, but yeah, but but, no, it, but it, it does, it casts suspicion on everybody. Every single person. And you can't tell if someone, and part of it's because it's a lot of melodrama, like people yes. are overreacting, like everybody does, like Brent and uh, Andy does, uh, Laura's mom, everybody kind of overreacts in some way. Uh, I don't know if it's overreaction, but it is no, melodramatic. It's melodramatic, it's not... so it's it, so it's hard to tell, like you, you're, you're looking for a... Uh, you're looking for like realistic human cues of of real remorse versus fake remorse, and with melodrama you can't do that because everybody's reaction is kind of the same. It's it's over the top and and right. and stuff. So I think it obscures a little bit of that, um, except for with uh, James, who <laughs> underreacts. Oh god, with His, he's got like one facial. He expression. has one. I remember like there's that shot where uh, uh, what's her name, Lair Flynn Boyle. Uh, Donna's, Donna yeah. is screeching and she looks over past all her friends who are crowded around her. That's another thing I want to talk about. But we won't have time. But, uh, and she looks over at James and James is kind of like glowers. Like, is that a word? Glowers? Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, why? What no, I'm just, me like no, just finish what you're saying. No, like he, he has like, it's no reaction whatsoever. It's just like, he just looks like he's constipated or something. Like it's, it's really, it's odd because... You can't tell if that was the actor's interpretation or David Lynch said, no, your your reaction is to just keep a stoic face and cr- look like you're crying on the inside, which is what he does. He looks like he's sad, 
but he doesn't know how to transmit that emotion to his face. <laughs> and I really can't tell if, if that's just the actor or the, the director. But it was, it was, uh, it was interesting. And, and, but it did. It does. It kind of sets up their weird kind of dynamic there, too, between the three of them. Right. Where he can't, he, maybe he can express visible sadness because he's not supposed to know that, oh, he grasped, they were the second uh, hidden couple was him and Laura also cheating on <laughs> boyfriends and stuff. Right. So it's, uh, yeah. But anyways, that that's so they those two find out. Uh, Audrey finds Audrey out. Audrey finds out. Bobby who, finds out. Bobby finds out. And then from there, uh, where does it go after that? I think they just take him to the station. Um, oh, where does it go after that? Does it go straight to uh, Renette Pulaski? The, the mill. Oh yes, that's the second one. So the first scene, uh, well, it's not the first scene, but the first mass uh, telling of Laura's death is at the school. Yeah. And there's an interesting shot that you like of... Yeah, so Principal Wolchek goes to make the announcement to the entire school that their classmate is dead. And there's this great scene of... It's reused again later in the in the series of the camera just panning down the this long, empty corridor in Twin Peaks Consolidated High School. And you just hear the the voiceover the principal making this announcement about laura's death and And saying classes have been dismissed yeah yeah and there's this sense like well because it's an empty hallway so the sound is just echoing around there's nobody to hear it everybody's in class but it it goes down 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 the hallway it cuts back to the principal and he's distraught everybody is distraught over laura's death so she she had a, a a presence that she touched affected everybody's life in some way She's affected everybody. And then you get the fir- I think that's when you get the first shot of uh, Laura's homecoming picture. Yeah. Um, yeah, because then it yeah, goes, the to, it, it app, goes yeah. to uh, Laura's parents' yeah. uh, home into which the Palmer is, yeah, residence, yeah. which is when the, the police are doing their first sweep of the, the house and collecting some evidence and interviewing the Palmers. Yeah. And collect- yeah, like and that's they- when they get the call that, uh, Renette Pulaski's didn't come back to school, which is the other victim. Yeah, there's find there, we find yeah. out there's a second victim, which yeah. is um, the when we get we move back to um, another mass announcement yeah. at the Packard sawmill, and Josie Packard comes back, and you find out that she is the owner of the mill, yeah. and Catherine and Pete. Catherine is the manager, I guess the manager, the operator, I guess yeah. she's like, like that. she's the one who actually knows how to run a mill. Yeah, and and Josie is you find out later has inherited the mill from her husband who died who the died. year before who was Catherine's brother yeah so tangled web yeah it's a very <laughs> tangled web yeah but josie wants to shut the mill down for the day out of respect for yannick pulaski who is ronette's father who works at the mill and who has just discovered that his daughter is missing and they haven't they haven't found her yet so she wants to make this announcement. Catherine says you can't do that. And Pete sides with Josie, which is an interesting thing. Yeah. Maybe not so much interesting. No. It's kind of predictable. Yeah, it's but part of their Not only yeah. is Josie his boss, but she's also, the, the at that point, the more sympathetic character. She yeah. wants to do the right thing. Yeah. And she has this, she's... Yeah, she's got this It's weird, cute. Yeah. It's, it's kind of... It it know. plays it, it plays oddly because you don't want to think... It's not racist... She's learning English, but but the fact she she never gets her grammar very wrong. She just gets these these uh, yeah the idiomatic, idiomatic expressions, expressions that she she mixes she bungles up. A she little. says things like push the Pete. plug. Yeah, Peter, push the plug. Yeah, and uh, yeah, things like that 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 come along. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a cute little character. These little malapropisms or something. Yeah. That, that come up, but 
Uh, but yeah, it, she she does this, and then and then she gives a speech, and she's, she's it's very similar to the principal. Speech yeah, like about, again, you're in these big spaces where lots people of are yeah, lots of echoing. People are listening, and again, it's that transmission of of pain through uh, technology uh, yeah. and stuff. May I have your attention? This is Josie Packard. I've decided that today, in the lights of what has happened, all work here will stop. Yeah, there's, and there's no, there's absolutely no. Movement. physical connection yeah at all yeah the only you know you've and if got there is, it's Kath- at a distance kind of like well, no there there isn't it's like Catherine comes down the stairs and she fires oh, the yeah, first fires person the- she sees so there's yeah. no compassion no which is well but you, know, you do get you- to see uh pulaski come out with the cop and the cop's kind of like consoling him as sure he comes out. but it's from it's like this faraway shot there's no you don't even i don't you don't meet their the family until later yeah next episodes. Episodes later. yeah so it's it's like a yeah, it's it's a very kind of distancing kind of thing. Like everybody's kind of away from the grief, and then you zoom in on individual characters who are experiencing it, and it's uh, yeah, it's a really effective technique. I found. I don't know. I thought it was really cool. But it, but to get back to this whole technology yeah, thing, it's just that the 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 technology goes is the way that the information is is transmitted, but it's not it's not a comforting thing at all, and that's. There's no reason to be comforted. We we have a, a woman who's been brutally murdered, and we find out she's been, you know, savagely attacked before that. And another woman now we find out is is missing, and we have no idea where she is. Except we do know, because we yeah. see her in the very next scene. There's a, this yeah. ghostly figure walking down, walking a, down over a trestle a, bridge yeah. uh, down a set of railroad tracks, and she's wearing a, a slip like or a nightgown. Or yeah. She's covered in blood, and, and she's like got wires these... wires on her wrists Yeah, no, stuff. rope on her rope wrists. On, yeah. And she's, and she's like got a, these... A hole or something Yeah, there's like chest. two holes yeah. in her chest. Like, they, they look like... And she's just dazed, like she's completely she's catatonic, yeah. but she's like kind of staggering down the, the railroad tracks, and she meets up with a railroad, uh, somebody who's switching the tracks yeah. or doing something with, and that's we find out that's Ronette that's Pulaski. Funny. So, so the second girl has been found, yeah. and this is the catalyst for the introduction of uh, the Cooper. the knight in shining armor, yeah. the FBI's special agent Dale Cooper, who comes charging in in the very next scene. Yeah. But I think we're going to tackle that in the next hour yes. of this podcast yes. so we will leave it there the first sorry there wasn't done. much bickering here no there was but we just kind of did it with it. your eyes i did it with my eyes and this you're is, rolling there was yeah, a lot of eye rolling yeah. that was not captured so we'll just have this to is a this is a this is an time. audio medium that we're dealing with yeah right you, now. you gotta actually argue with me if you hate something i'm saying okay well okay. i can do that i can do i that. know you can so I know I we'll, can. we'll look forward to that but yeah anyways. we have a lot to talk about next time because dale cooper is my favorite character yeah so that'll be just the dale cooper episode and then we'll come back for the rest of yep. this, the episode of the Basically. pilot so no we'll wrap that all up next time all right thanks. so thanks for tuning in